Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to the Raw Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamlet, Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of Monday Now Raw. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review Monday Now Raw, but also Brandon House Smackdown, NXT, Dupa, oh! AW Dynamite, AW Rampage, pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete with a buddy of Quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by the Dudley Boys to review Monday Night Raw. Hamlet, what did you make of the go-home show ahead of hell in a cell? I regurgitate this take four times a year, and I realised I do this now. So I am, and I'm part of this problem, before I'm about to illustrate that why it's such a problem, is that in the aftermath of a AW pay-per-view, there is typically some divisive discourse, because it's AW. There's going to be something that everybody disagrees on, there's going to be something that everybody chats about, and nobody can find any common ground on. And then... If it's a Saturday 48, it's a Sunday, it's especially potent. 24 hours later, everybody just stops and take a breath and go, well, at least that's a wrestling show. Yeah. Because then you get money like Raw. Never, never does uh, a Raw feel more exposed by the kind of like the cold light of day of what WWE actually is now as a content production factory than immediately following a big AW show, which again, people can disagree on the quality of. I'm sure there's all things that we preferred or liked, disliked, but... One's a wrestling show and one's a content production factory and not a super mega effective one based on <laughs> based on what happened with Money in the Bank and what's happened on the episode we're about to review. It's just quite remarkable. Like, it's just idiotic nonsense and claptrap for three hours. And I don't know, it just feels so stark in the aftermath mm. of a show that, and again, like a divisive one at that, a divisive AEW show at that can still all of a sudden look like WrestleMania 17 when you're watching this Raw after that. I liked a couple of segments on this show, yeah. but as a three-hour experience, Jesus Christ. Like, it is a it is a credit even to the worst faith argumentative dickheads on a Sunday or a Saturday after an AEW show that they can sort of care about the quality of a show enough to have standards. Some of the people that think our standards are too high don't realise that they have standards too because at least they're watching Dublin Us and at least they're arguing about its quality compared to this, like compared to this utter tripe. Everything good on this show was oppressively, punishingly, boringly familiar. So much on this show was absolutely terrible and just bland. And there's one in particular that made me realize, again, that you can't recall it an epiphany, epiphany if you experience it several times. <laughs> but there is 
one segment in particular, one match in particular, that made me realise, hang on, the only way these bozos are winning or are always going to win is because of the initials of the company. Like, mm. my God, I'm going to give you a hypothetical scenario later on that just brought into focus to me what a good job they did being good in the 80s. My God. I'm sick of reading that, like, WWE, all I, all I want to be is just, all I want to be is Disney or something like that. Like, have you seen Encanto? D- Disney's great. Yeah. It's, like, Disney can still do their, their, like, their primary sort of core thing. They can still do that really, really well. Like, WWE haven't had an Encanto in 20 years. <laughs> like, they're, they're nowhere near Disney. Not on their best day. Can you? Brand recognition is about the only thing they've got in common. But yeah, like, Vince is smart. And they also movie. don't talk about Bruno. <laughs> like the, it's just it's at this point like as Cedric says about the initials like the smartest thing Vince McMahon could have done was well A make it PG like all the hard work is dotted before one incredible monorail salesman came in and told him to sack her like but two just hammer 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 home that like his thing is wrestling whatever everything else you might watch that's not wrestling wrestling this is wrestling the destination the storm of it it's the smartest thing you could have done over 20 years mm. it was actually smarter to do that than try and make your product good because it's going to buy him all these years of free hits mm. like they put a bus and I, I love this crack by the way but they sent a bus like circling the the building the t-mobile arena was mm-hmm. it where Dublin nothing was with cody's face on it like in their minds of like a have a look at what you could have won right with the money in the bank poster on advertising that they were taking a big l and still in their minds, it's like, I but we've got Cody in this same city, buy a ticket, you know. Like, that bus was effectively saying, smaller building, we failed, like, around the bigger building. But they're WWE, so they can. They just mm. get to do this stuff. It's it's the inner workings of a, of a madman. Yes, he's mad. <laughs> and for people who said that WWE would ruin and change Cody, Cody has changed WWE, as we will get into a little bit later on. And I agree with you. Elements of this show I did enjoy... But I thought it was funny in the preview yesterday in the, the haze of uh, the fallout from Double or Nothing and me and Sid hadn't had enough sleep and what have you. And we spent half the Raw preview talking uh, about Double or Nothing. And we thought we were so bloody smart. We thought, ha yeah, we called this. There isn't going to be a finish to Bianca versus Asuka because why would you pin either of them before the triple threat? And WWE went, let's see. And they gave us a finish and then they went, what if, you, what if we screw you over for two other matches? <laughs> so for a split second watching this, after the opening match, I was like, fair play, WWE. At least, you know, you did your shenanigans of like one, two, three, but then in a fight immediately happens, so the result almost doesn't count in their eyes. And I thought, you know what? You've proved me wrong. And then this, the as you pointed out the other week, the Grandpa Simpson meme of his trousers just yeah, falling down yeah. immediately afterwards. <laughs> anyway, let's dive into it. Um, so Becky Lynch opened the show, welcoming us to Money Now Owl. Uh, she was in a good mood, like I am. Um, <laughs> despite her claim that the fans were all just, you know, waiting for her downfall. She said, some people collect stamps, some people collect friends, but I collect enemies. Um, she's going to regain her title at Hell in a Cell. Uh, the odds may well be against her, but uh, she always overcomes them. And she talks and they show images and I had horrible Nam-esque flashbacks to Money in the Bank 2020. You remember when we were all stuck at home and couldn't see anyone? Uh, and she, they showed, you know, Asuka holding up that title in that weird climb to the top of the roof and 
oh, maybe Baron Corbin's killed two people, whole <laughs> thing. Um, and she had the briefcase, and then she opened up, and the belt was obviously in there because Becky was going off to be a mother and what have you. But then she said, even then, she had a plan. Uh, she knew she could beat Asuka, and she thought, she'll hold the title, and when I come back, I can beat her and regain it and what have you. Um, but in fact, she talks about creating a monster. This brings out Asuka, um, who uh, shouts at her in Japanese and calls her a big-time baby. She says, no one's ready for me. I'm going to become the new champion. And this brings out the champion, Bianca Belair. Um, she says, look, I'm not going to def- complain about defending my title, um, about uh, having to face you know the two of you in a triple threat. I do my talking in the ring. She said, look... Not happy about what you did, Asuka, kicking me in the face last week. Um, she's going to get some payback on you, and she threatens to drop Lynch. And then big fight breaks out before the um, Bianca-Asuka match. And uh, Lynch cheap shots her, but in the end, Asuka and Bianca team up to eliminate Lynch from the ring so she can sit on commentary for this singles match. Before we get to the singles match, what do you make of the opening promo train for Monday Night Raw, Sitch? It's not storytelling. Like This is not storytelling. This is... Characters reiterating what their characters and motivations are. They just don't tell stories. They just reiterate premises over and over and over and over again in order to fulfill the obligations of a TV contract via content churn. I did not experience or learn anything that I didn't already know the previous week. Did I? No. no. <laughs> they like big time baby or whatever the line was that's the extent of the development is they have to think of like all of these characters they just exist as these characters they never change when they do if it's a heel turn the change is so ridiculous and daft that you have to like retcon a bunch of other stuff so they just come out they do their catchphrases or the heel or the baby face should I say um, riffs on a heel's catchphrase and that's the thing and nothing moves forward it just exists it hit me like this is sort of to do with the match a little bit as well but it occurred to me during this sort of opening 15, 20 minutes of Raw that the worst like the worst thing for WWE about Sasha and Naomi walking out was not that they walked out, it was when they did. Like, if they'd have walked out on this week's Raw, you'd have this match that they've got for Hell in a Cell at six days' notice with no time to make it boring. Like, the fact that they've had to... Like, this is obviously not what they had planned, right? But yeah. they've kind of thought, right, well, so we didn't have this planned. Let's get the three biggest stars and just put them out there and see how this goes because they're the three biggest stars. But then the problem is they've had, like, three more weeks of television time yes. to normalise it and make it boring. Sasha and I, we walk out today, and then it's like, right, everything we had planned down is hours off, but three way match, the big stars. Like, all right, like, why not? This might be pretty good. But instead, they've actually had time to work it into a storyline, and it's got progressively worse <laughs> as a result. And I don't particularly put that on the wrestlers as such. They're they're just instruction followers every single week they are all instruction followers um i've got a little bit of a feel like more of this feeling after the match as well so maybe do that first and then something that struck me during this particular this particular pairing on raw uh so lynch as i said was on commentary she said she was a wizard and then she said, uh, no, I'm not. I'm a magician, actually. Yeah. Because uh, we can't say that. And uh, she talks about making... WWE Social Network tried. Yeah. yeah they yeah, desperately yeah. tried to stir up a bit of engagement by isolating that quote. And she had to correct it and tag Chris Jericho to show that there was nothing intended by it. No. Uh, she said she was a magician by making Bianca Belair's yeah. title disappear at SummerSlam. Uh, back and forth stuff from Bianca and Asuka. Um, uh, they knock each other out of the ring to take us to a break. Uh, when we come back, Asuka hits a German suplex and a running hip attack to get a two count. Um, Belair manages to fight back and get Asuka up for the KOD, but she slips out. But she, as she lands, she tweaks her knee 
and uh, Lynch mocks her and calls her a baby, actually. Uh, so Belair goes after her, but Asuka fights back and manages to hit her with a knee, knee strike for a near fall. Uh, she goes for the Asuka lock, but Belair counters it, hits her with a glam slam. Uh, Asuka tries to cradle her, but Belair reverses it. One, two, three. Um, Belair gets the victory, gets the momentum heading into Hell in a Cell, but immediately, as I mentioned earlier, Becky Lynch hit the ring and uh, attacks both of them to... to to get some momentum and stand tall ahead of Hell in a Cell. Right, so this is perfectly well worked, but every single match we review on a rest intelligence show should be, and it's an embarrassment when one isn't, and it's mm-hmm. why we're so critical about NXT 2.0's output and sometimes some of the stuff that like sneaks onto Dynamite and Rampage. But like, so this was that that element of this was absolutely fine. I'm noticing a problem that I'd kind of forgotten about about Bianca Belair was that when there is no real genuine emotional heft in the matches and especially when she's against a baby face but it's the emotional heft more because this problem occurred in some of the matches with Bailey as well so it is against when she's working a heel some of her stuff feels a little bit fake so she, she uses like whether it be using the hair or some of the way she like deploys the moonsaults or whatever it's supposed to put across the idea that she's a superhuman athlete and people shouldn't have overlooked like because she's like Say mad into fashion, for example. She makes all her own clothes and like her look is really important to her. And the idea is, well, that's just one part of my multifaceted personality I can goo. And I can goo really hard and I'll take your title and I'll take your belt. Sasha Banks and Becky Lynch at WrestleMania being the prime examples of this. She's not an ideal fit for the content churn 52-week rotation mm. as the world champion because you're kind of just doing the the flippy stuff for flippy stuff's sake. It doesn't... Suddenly, I was like, oh, you're not really in this struggle here. You're not proving yourself. You're kind of just the champion that has got this in her arsenal for the sake of it. And I was sort of taken out of the match a bit as a result. I don't know what the answer to that is. I don't know if, is Bianca Belair so much of a main stage player that they need to reduce her weekly output a little bit? Some people are not. And rightfully so, by the way. Some people are not built to have 10 boring television minutes every single week where you're... Like normalization, mm. like it's it's death to a performer like Bianca Belair is normalization, and I really felt that here. And I don't particularly have any worries. The premium live event, as we said before, is this weird magical other world where WWE isn't necessarily all WWE for the night. So I don't particularly have an issue with it there. But it's not the first time I felt that about Bianca Belair Raw match, um, and against Asuka. This would have been at one point, say like months ago, we'd have been like, well, they need to fill stadiums. Hey, you've got Belair Asuka, you could do that like normalised over the course of 10 minutes on Raw. My issue with this match is that WWE can't be good because it's WWE. And that might sound like a default latent bias, but ultimately, whenever I watch a match like this with no stakes, other than the paltry bollocks of momentum, when you know that no result coming from it can be in any way productive to my engagement in the storyline because either someone gets beat cleanly or the whole thing's a complete waste of time because someone's going to interfere with mm. the, again, the absolute illusion of stakes, the illusion of importance, this stupid momentum thing. We discussed this on the preview. Like, in real sports, it does actually hold true. Like, if your football team wins two matches out of a really tough fixture, that football team is going to feel bang up for it, motivated, mm. confident, like firing on all cylinders, everything's clicking. Momentum is an actual, real sporting Win your games at the end of the season rather than at the beginning. Like, if you run in at the end of the season and you're on a hot streak, far better than doing it, like, middle of the season at Christmas or something, isn't it, you know? Yeah, but, like, just in general, form matters. Like, momentum matters. Your ability to win matters because it means that you have a... 
you have the belief that you can win the next one because you've just won mm. and you are full of confidence and full of beans. So this is a sporting principle, this momentum stuff that WWE has bastardized. But at the same time, it's been so bastardized, it's an excuse to get matches on. These aren't fixtures that have to happen to complete the league. These are just <laughs> things that have to happen. These We've seen the very best of what they can probably do together at this point over the combined two matches. I think some of the work was really strong. It always is going to be because look at the roster you've assembled. I'm watching this with an absolute inability to invest because they've bastardized the stakes and I was not expecting a finish. And if I was expecting a finish, I shouldn't get a finish because you've got the pay-per-view where you need all three characters to look as strong as possible. Mm. You could do this with angles. Just do angles instead of matches. It's just on television. It's, uh, it's, not, it's not hard. I want to I want to pick up on that with something specifically later on with the the Kevin Owens stuff that reminded me I had, like I nearly was a miserable get on Twitter this morning I was like why it's WWE there's there's just no point to have this chat you won't even get the likes no one gives a talk <laughs> yeah it just, but it occurred to me later on there's something with the Owens thing that I, I, I thought about that about this just do angles well speaking of which Kevin Owens Chad Gable and Otis faced off against Ezekiel and the Mysterios next uh, Ezekiel and the Mysterios made it quite a good team uh, they cleared the ring early on it took all of them to drop kick Otis out of there but as they celebrated. Uh, Dominic went up to the top rope and Gable jumped off and shoved him off and dropped the old thank you uh, drives him into the barricade etc uh, they are working over Dominic when we come back from the break but Ezekiel comes in makes a hot tag uh, Stinger splashes to Owens and to Chad Gable uh, hits Gable with a spinning power bomb but Otis dives in to break up the cover uh, Dominic goes for a high cross, but Otis just catches him. So Ray does that seated sent on, so they all go crashing down there. Uh, Owens manages to get out of the way of a six one nine and goes to super kick Ray, but accidentally super kicks super kicks Chad Gable. Uh, and the Mysterios hit Gable with a double six one nine, and Ezekiel hit a sort of spinning neck breakers suplex thing, which is presumably his new finisher for the pinfall victory. And after the match. Oh, Owens was hot. He obviously faces Ezekiel at the premium live event on Sunday, which we'll be doing a live stream for, of course. Uh, and he was trashing the announce table to show his frustration afterwards as they were trying to move on on commentary. So I thought the work was really strong in this, and it was mainly because it was character-based. Like, we've seen a lot of very good tags on Multimans on Raw this year, but it takes more for them to stick out right, and Kevin Owens continues to just... It's unfair to say he's carrying the load, because this story is far from a load, actually, but the way he carries it and he integrates with his matches is so much more important, and it's the stuff that WWE often themselves don't think about. It's like, well, how would this person actually behave in a match if they're experiencing these things in what we're supposed to believe is their personal life, right? So Owens is so great at that. But I love... This year, we've been very high on the Raw Tag Division in general. We've been really high on RK-Bro as a unit, and now we're quite high on Ezekiel. 40 years after Vincent Mann decided he hated tag wrestling because he prefers to pay two men instead of four. Bruce Pritchard's words, not mine, by the way. That was his reveal in an early Conrad podcast. He thinks he's invented the hot tag. Yeah. <laughs> like, all of these things are great because the hot tag has ruled forever. <laughs> but Vince, I come with this new thing. People get a huge pop when they tag in <laughs> after a guy's been getting beaten up. Like, he believe, like, all of a sudden, he's discovered tag wrestling is good, actually. <laughs> and the latest person to be able to benefit from this is Ezekiel. Because this character is so perfect at taking that hot tag against someone like Kevin Owens, who is playing a frustrated man with Ezekiel. He's slipping up. He's making mistakes. He's hitting his own partner because he's rattled by all of this. I just like seeing the stories in the matches, like being simpatico with one another. Again, the polar opposite to the opener in, in that respect. Mm. And I enjoyed all of this and continue to enjoy the presentation. Um, the point I want to pick up with Sidri was made about just do like angles or just, you know, in WWE law, just do silliness. There was a, a backstage thing with Sarah Schreiber where Becky Lynch was being interviewed like ostensibly for like an on a digital thing. And like all of a sudden she hears wailing 
and Kevin Owens is like hiding behind a production crate. And Kevin Owens, in his current storyline, and Becky Lynch as Big Time Bex, the kind of idiot, have this really great interaction where they feel like stars and they both know who the characters are. And Kevin Owens has been like, saying to Sarah Schreiber, why do you put up with Kevin Patrick's nonsense? He's an idiot. Like, why is he not, like, vindicating my belief that it's not Ezekiel? And Becky Lynch is trying to get on side with Owens' belief about this Ezekiel Elias thing and sort of saying, I know he's Irish, but, like, he's, he's not really one of us. We, we normally have more integrity <laughs> than that. It's like, these people know who they are, and they should just tit about backstage, and that should be Raw. Like, Vince Russo was right about Raw. He was just, like, about, like, modern, like, sort of WWE action. Take the ring away. He was just 20 years too soon with the take. Like, <laughs> yeah. He just spotted that this was all going to be content in the end. Like They made so much more sense in this strange little vignette with Sarah Schreiber because at least like, kind of they know who they are and they can portray it. And Owens was excellent at this here. Yeah, I really enjoyed this trios match, to be honest. It's mm. not one of the best blow-away trios matches. We've seen one of them on the paper, <laughs> double or nothing, very recently. So it was couldn't hold a candle in terms of action. Um, like futuristic moves, like mm-hmm. when you get bone deep excitement and you're just standing, pacing, exhilarated by it. It was nothing on that level. But ultimately, my core sadness with this entire Ezekiel stuff is when Kevin Owens doesn't have a microphone in his hand and he knows exactly how to manipulate the audience who know to play along. And then the bell rang and Ezekiel's not that great. He got pops galore yeah. in this match. I think some of his offense looked actually good, like the spinning variations on power moves. And there's like a spinning suplex and a spinning sit-out power bomb. Mm. It's like if you can just integrate this character in like the tag or the multi-man context and don't have to do the connective narrative tissue and struggle and sell and do the things you're not particularly great at, he's still a shredded physical specimen who can do cool moves. If you can platform that and make that the whole core... Like it's gonna fail the match. I'm sorry. On Sunday or Saturday is it? Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Better not then be Saturday. <laughs> are we in on Monday? Well, we'll be doing the live. I'll be doing the live stream. That's yeah, been like as the English as a nation. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're yeah. back. Oh, yeah, right, Queenie's giving us Thursday, Friday off this week, but we're back to normal next week. I think. All right. Um, ultimately, I don't think a singles match is going to work. But hot tag Zeke. <laughs> like genuinely rules it was just genuinely nice that he's actually maybe made a connection so hopefully Owen can put a shift big time shift in because it's just quite fun this isn't it John Cena comeback stuff is in ring isn't it like the way like the, the bounce and the pop to it none of it means a great deal but he sure looks great doing yeah, it yeah. he's got like the odd throw in him or something like that Aye. Uh, what followed was a Cody Rhodes promo, a really good Cody Rhodes promo, I thought. Uh, got a great reaction from the fans, of course. Talks about Seth Rollins being a fan of his, always seeing his potential. Someone else saw his potential, and it was the man who raised Cody Rhodes, and there's a chant for Dusty, and uh, Dusty told Cody, he says that uh, Rollins had everything in place to make it as a generational talent, and he lived up to the hype. Uh, and then Rhodes talking about finding out he was going to be getting his second chance at WrestleMania. He's going to be facing Seth Rollins, and he said, this may well surprise you, but I was, I was nervous. I, I knew I couldn't come back and, and lose on my first night. Um, but he managed to be at the top of his game at Mania and at Backlash. He's defeated Rollins twice, and it's driven him mad. Um, he said Rollins is a desperate egomaniac, but he's also dangerous. Hell in a Cell is going to be the biggest challenge of his career. He wanted Rollins to know that any respect or self-control he had is going to be locked outside of the cell, uh, and Rollins is going to be locked in with someone who wanted to hurt him. Rollins' music plays, and he cackles, and he doesn't come out uh, on the stage. He comes out through the crowd wearing this silver gimmick ridiculous uh cuts his promo says he doesn't like cody rhodes 
He tried to accept this new version of Cody, but uh, he couldn't take all the pandering or the Cody chants that he can hear in his sleep. So he uh, caught a bit close to the bone. He talked about Rhodes thinking that, that WWE, because he, well, see, he said Rhodes left WWE because he wasn't good enough. And then he and his little friends tried to tear down what Rollins had built. Uh, didn't work out for him, and now he's trying back to be the hero. He said, you you, can't, you don't get to take a sledgehammer to the throne and then try to take that throne from me. Um, and Rollins said he's going to end Rhodes at Hell in a Cell and can, everyone can finally then wake up from the American nightmare. And he cackles, and uh, Rhodes says, well, why we got to wait till Sunday? Come down to the ring, let's have it out. And Rollins swaggers through the crowd and goes to get over the barricade and then says, nah, I can't be bothered, and goes to walk away. And then... Cody Rhodes breaks the cardinal rule of WWE, the invisible wall. He goes, what's stopping me from coming out there and beating the crap out of you? What, three little ropes and a barricade? Bollocks to that. And he runs out, and they brawl, and then they, they, they tackle. he tackles Rollins through the barricade, and then they continue to fight, and officials have to come down and break him up, and they get separated, and then they fight again, and they get separated again, and they fight again, and they yell, and their eyes are popping out of their heads, and they're shouting at each other. I thought this was a brilliant go-home angle ahead of him. Like yeah, I was shocked by how effective and how good this was, um, considering that it felt for a while like they were just... Again, in typical WWE fashion, establishing the reason why the match exists and then doing very little to deepen the heft or advance the story or keep you hooked week to week and then just doing it. This was them finally saying the quiet part loud at the most pivotal time. Yeah. Whether it was worth just not doing that all this time. But ultimately, this was so much better and more dramatically effective. And look at the building, listen to the sounds like this was a sensory my god real wrestling he is actually happening in front of me i can see it i can hear it so much more effective than Corey graves's little snipes about you know where you've been and the ring rust it's like no acknowledge where he's been play with it in terms of the characters if you're seth rollins and you're the kind of the stand-up for wwe guy and you've been to great mental distress trying to fly that flag on twitter in 2019 it's so easy for me to buy your motives and to not feel like an automaton reading from a terrible script when you are legit standing up for WWE and heavily alluding without directly saying the words AEW because I don't think you can um, of why he actually hates him. I could feel from Seth Rollins why he would actually hate Cody Rhodes. Cody Rhodes is an absolutely fantastic professional wrestler who doesn't get anywhere near enough credit um, for how great he is. The guy who was accused so often of setting himself on fire and blade in every match to get a reaction in AEW has told two absolutely beautifully simplistic pro wrestling stories in his um, series with Seth Rollins so far. And in addition to being a pure, great wrestling storyteller, he's classic brawling. He's absolutely yeah. mint at Ripping this. Ripping that shirt. That, that, oh, I love that visual. He's absolutely classic brawling. This was a class brawl. This actual scripted promo line about... Why would you want to take this throne, you dickhead, when you smashed it? Like, how did you're, you're a hypocrite, you're a con, you're an arsehole. All of that was made um, clear in the subtext. This is just fantastic. WWE should be more like this all of the time. Cody's changed WWE. WWE hasn't changed Cody. He's come in. He's had the best match of the night on every single pay-per-view he's been on so far. I think he will again. I think it's going to be the main event, obviously, of Hell in a Cell. He's the biggest person on Monday Night Raw. He's lost precisely zero matches since he's come back, and now he's broken the invisible wall. Cody's changed WWE, guys, for the best. This is his new thing. I know what you... This is your thing. Tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me where I'm wrong. I know what you're doing. No, I'm not doing anything. Tell me where I'm wrong. But 
Right. I'm just asking questions here, guys. So, was it theatre and performance? Yeah. Is that legitimately the name of your degree? Theatre and performance yeah. studies, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I knew people who did that, and now I know you. <laughs> <laughs> so I understand where people are coming from uh, when they say that Cody has been immediately normalised by WWE, and it's especially easier, by the way, to see that if you don't watch the show than if you do, because all it would take would be to look at, like, say, one week where he fights the Miz with a no finish or fights the US mm, title. Got a finish. He won. He won every match. Where he fights... Theory because he really wants the US title, but it's just there. I thought drive, that was great as well. To drive, I, to that was good. Else. Admit that was good. Well, hang on, but it was only existed to drive something else. Yeah, but it was right, still and good. We were never going to get a finish. Anyway, well, we got a finish. He won, but like, I'm I'm going to agree with you. Don't let me change my mind. <laughs> I don't think he has been normalised, and if he has, he's actually elevating what it is to be normal in WWE. So I think there's, I think, do you know what I mean? I yeah, think yeah, yeah. I think there's definitely a compromise to be found somewhere. Oh, he's normalised. Like, like, look last week. I can't remember what happened. <laughs> no, but, I, the, but the Miz match, the Miz match, like the this is what I was saying before. Oh it's, yeah, that was Miz. It's really hard to just be there all the time, week to week. And Miz just, is their guy. Yeah. Sorry, no, it's okay. But like, but I, I, but I do get the take. But then I, I don't disagree with everything you're saying because I am like earnestly really hyped for a third Cody Rhodes Seth yes. Rollins match. Like he is making all the stuff we do infinitely more entertaining. Yes, there's a glow around him. But when do we stop talking about the glow around him and say, well, maybe he's just really good at this? All I ever want is to see the people elevating the bad material. And he's elevating to such an extent that it's not bad material. Yeah. It's pre- this was, as Cedric points out, the noises were the real actual pro wrestling noises. The things you're supposed to feel, not because WWE are telling you, feel this, these are the big stars on the big match because they're fighting for the, you know, for the honour of being a WWE champion. It's no, they actually want to be the best. They want to prove their point. They want what they've said to be louder and they're going to show it with fists because that's how, like, that's basic pro wrestling when you're not fighting for belts. The Seth Rollins line, like I loved the like the how he's included AEW into this. Absolutely loved it. You know, on the apprentice, right? Our apprentice I know like the Americans will get this just as much because it's Donald Trump. That sort of spoke for itself. But on our apprentice, right, it's Alan Sugar, a kind of like small time tech millionaire that got extremely lucky to become a billionaire. And on Lord the Alan Sugar, let's give him his proper title. Well, this is it, right? He makes all these absolute <laughs> dweebs on the show, call him Lord Sugar and deify him as this business genius. And one of my favourite things about The Apprentice is that he has to, when he's like, send the candidates in, please. It used to be on the Amstrad emailer. Now it's on this phone <laughs> that he can't even pick up with it. Like, he's done loads and loads and loads of absolute Right, as this supposed yeah. corporate genius. But within the context of The Apprentice, everybody's supposed to go, oh my God, if only Alan Sugar was on my side. I, yeah. That's Seth Rollins and WWE. Like, that's why you believe it so much. Within this insane bubble of which Seth Rollins has presided over, he believes that, he believes everything he says. The, the character of Seth Rollins, 100%, believes that uh, John Mox is trying to take food off my table. <laughs> like, the, the absolute, just as people on The Apprentice believe that, like, the guy that designed that phone that fundamentally does not even work as a phone, let alone an emailer, is a guy I need to be in business with. Like, and I just, I see the Seth Rollins character, and the Miz can do it as well. There are certain characters that are absolutely perfect to have that feud yeah. with Cody. And I, 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 too, completely love the deployment of it here. It will feel a bit hacky and a bit lazy if the wrong wrestler does it, and a guy comes up and, like... Mustafa Ali comes up and says that is like, what do you think you're doing around here? And Cody's like, what do you think you're doing around here? You would be much better in the place that I helped set up. Yeah. But there are some wrestlers where this sort of stuff is sublime. And yeah. this was this was evidence of it because the fans simply wouldn't have been invested like had they not been. Cody, as Cedric pointed out, months and months and months and months ago when he was doing it on Dynamite is just one of the great underrated crowd brawlers. I don't know. It's dark art stuff. What's he doing? I'm going to have to watch these brawls back and find the exact moment when Cody like looks out to the crowd or something or arches back and like goes right into a kid's soul because there's something he's doing that I wish I understood how they did mm. it. 
brilliant. This was absolutely brilliant. Can't, again, I'm going to say it again. I cannot wait for the third in, like pay-per-view encounter <laughs> between these two yeah. wrestlers. Do we, do we never get that from no. you? Never get it from you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful, too, for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help? a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. Uh, next up on the show, it was Alexa Bliss, Alexa Bliss versus DJ Eddy uh, with uh, Nikki A.S.H. in her corner. Jesus Christ, man. A brief <laughs> match. DJ uh, power uh, dominated for the most part. Uh, but in the end, Alexa Bliss dodged a uh, Vader bomb from the Dewdrop. Nikki A.S.H. was completely body point. I was like, oh, okay, so Nikki's going to get involved. And Dewdrop's going to get the win, and Dewdrop's going to be like, wait a second, we got something here. No, that's not what happened. Nikki A.S.H. jumped off the apron, Alexa Bliss kicked her off, still hit Twisted Bliss and won. This is so baffling, in a kind of funny way. Just so baffling. So the idea, I think, right, is that you've got vacant women's tag team titles that they initially suggested on SmackDown were going to be contended for in a tournament. Have they mentioned this on WWE television since? Not as far as I know. Okay. If they were going to do this, right, they've got very few teams, one of which, as we discussed... Is not really a team in Dujeb versus <laughs> Nikki ASH, right? Even if <laughs> do they want a tag team division or not, I just don't get it. I just do not get any of this. It feels increasingly like they don't actually want one, which is fair because they never booked it well in the first place. No. But even if they don't really want a division, they're still telling the story about how Dewdrop and Nikki ASH are kind of coming together, which hinges on the fact that Dewdrop is like a best of the rest sort of figure in terms of she's not like a frequent title contender, but she's like, she can beat people, and she's big and strong, and she can be an authority to the wayward Nikki A.S.H. That just gets me. How she got any authority now to tell Nikki A.S.H., if you get rid of this goofy outfit and start taking yourself seriously, right, you'll lose matches just like you do. 
Like me do. Like, uh, what is going yeah, the on? The story is really easy for this match, and that's Dewdrops dominates as she did. She looked good in there early on against Alexa Bliss, and then she goes up to do something, and Nikki maybe jumps up on the apron or goes, "Yeah, come on, Dewdrop, come on, yeah." And she's like, <laughs> "Get down, chill out. Match isn't won until you got the one, two, three, and then she gets she misses the Vader bomb. In reality, she was just crap. I disagree even with that. She cannot lose." Like, I, I don't even think that she can... Like, I, I get that point yeah, entirely. I wouldn't put her with Alexa Bliss. Don't put her with somebody yeah. that she's going to get, like, beat against. This was... These segments come up far too often on Raw now, whether it be, like, all day Bobby Sisters. The type of thing that was so, like, multifariously terrible that once, when people still believe that this could be a functioning wrestling show, <laughs> you would pinpoint that. What a disaster this was for A, B, and C. This is, like, every other segment. Yeah. Like, the, the Cody and Seth one is the one we stop and go, Jesus, they can still do that. Yeah. Followed by several of these. Yeah. Like, yeah, the, the dewdrop sort of, take your mask and cape off and get serious. So they're out having this, like, look, Alexa Bliss has got, apart from the doll, she's got rid of all the other stuff, and look, Alexa Bliss is back. Like, I'm back, I'm just dewdrop again. Like, if you just took the mask and cape off and got serious, we're going to be great. Gets beaten, like, three minutes in a pointless match while Nikki, in her mask and cape, does absolutely nothing to... Like tried to help, yeah, tried to help. I like, wasn't in the wrong in any way. Like she was the sort of the preferred member of the team in this <laughs> case. Alexa Bliss, by the way, and this take is um, bolstered by the video that did the rounds on Twitter about her having the interview with Sarah Shriver backstage, or somebody just like thinking she was just, oh, I'm finished now, and then she was dragged back in to do a little yeah, bit more. Yeah, yeah. Like it is quite amazing to watch content drone Alexa Bliss in this current era, seeing out the remainder of a contract. Just doing whatever. Like, I really liked... What, one of the things that I think put Alexa Bliss as the only real standout wrestler beyond the Four Horsewomen in the early days of the Women's Revolution trademark was that she showed um, genuine character and belief in who she was. She wasn't prepared. She won the title from Becky Lynch and kept it and basically forced WWE to be like, now you need to look at me as well. Mm. Like, I've got this innate charisma and I can do this and I'll get better with these other women that I work with if you give me the opportunity. Like... Long after WWE were isolating individual talents for that kind of push, she did it. She won in that respect. Then she's been through the ringer 20 times over and has lost any interest in trying to try and has found, uh, as often is the case, they'll just put me over anyway. <laughs> so she's now not trying and winning more than she has done anything in the past sort of two years. Like, she's the latest, like a Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, but there's just no performance with it. Like, she's the latest to figure out how to win the system, game the system. I can only imagine that meeting. So you're coming back. Yeah, yeah, I'm coming back. What gimmick have you got for me? Well, we want to tidy up what's happened with you and Bryce. We're going to send you to, like, therapy, and then we're going to put you in an elimination chamber. Oh, cool. What after that? Then you'll go away for a bit. Oh, am I injured? No. She's not going to use you for a bit. Okay, when you come back, am am I still going to do the Bray Wyatt gimmick? Um... Not really. We've still got a few dolls, so I'm going to need you to carry that out with you. All right, what's my new gimmick? Huh? She what's is my new gimmick? In her no, per- just just not the old gimmick. Yeah. In her performance style, she when she's asked the question, what is my motivation? And they've said nothing. She's like, got it. <laughs> like that, she's actually doing that. People don't like the WWE versus AEW comparisons. The reason why I do it is because it just brings certain things into focus. Yes. WWE is so fundamentally broken in so many millions and millions of different ways that's actually hard without a frame of reference to tell you, oh, this is, how, this is actually how it should be done. Yeah. Right. Blackpool Combat Club, they form. Danielson and Moxley have this like n- n- nasty, amazing fight. And then they come together. It's like, right, okay, well, we need to use the, the authority we've displayed in this ring tonight at Revolution to get the wacky. Stupid stuff. And AEW, just correct all of that. Pick the best talents who could be something and let's make them something, right? 
absolutely, we should do this. So they get Wheeler Yuta on board, right? What if Danielson is having a match with someone to show Yuta that his tutelage is going to advance his career, help him become a better wrestler, help AEW as the whole become a more sh- like traditional pro wrestling company in his image and all the rest of it, right? And Danielson just loses a match. Why would Yuta go, all right, I should subscribe to your teachings because, <laughs> because you're a loser. Yeah. It's, it's the same thing as this. It yeah. is so stupid. They literally did that with Yuta when he was looking at the best friends and going, why would I hang around with you guys anymore yeah. when I've got these that want me? Yeah, like they, they actually positioned it as I've, I've got to go with the winners. If you're, be better if you're Nikki ESH now, you think, well, I spent the last month listening to your advice and why would I? You've got no authority. Yeah, why wouldn't you go with Alexa, who she's already won tag? <laughs> can, can I go back with you? Unless this is a long, long-term long storytelling. I don't think it is. If it is, I will apologise. Yes. Yeah. Uh, then we got Miss TV with the Street Profits. Uh, Miss plugged the new series of Miz and Mrs. announced that Maurice is coming back next week to Raw. Get in. Jesus. By the Street Profits. They come out and just, just hijack <laughs> the segment, basically. Um, they, he's talking about that when he should Fan of a ring work, are you? Uh, talking about <laughs> Hell in a Cell. Um, they're excited about Rhodes versus Rollins. And they go, didn't you? Did you lose to Cody Rhodes? Uh, and Ford's obviously puts over the fact that the beautiful Bianca Belair is going to retain her title and, in his words, bring it home. Um, and they said, you know what? We're being, we're being very harsh here. It's Miss TV. It's your show. Um, what do you think of uh, Helena Selden? Miss goes to answer and they drop the old, it doesn't matter what you think. What was that? What was that? Like, the, is this, was this the first time we've actually tried to co-promote Young Rock or something? I don't know. Can it just do that? Just out of it's nowhere, just that like blatant path, like charmless path, yeah. And they, it, and they just went, Ah, still fell for it. I was like, Well, it's not, it's not a <laughs> thing, yeah, like, thing. One nil, I to the Miz. Uh, Miz goes, I did like the bit where Miz put his you know, my hand goes up, your mouth goes shut, and Dawkins just high fived him. <laughs> I don't know why that tickled me a little bit. Um, they take the piss out of him, and then the whole thing doesn't matter anyway because it's time for 24 7 shenanigans. Dana Brooke runs down, she's being chased by Akira Tozawa. There's a bit of something between them, and T Bar comes down and lays out Akira, Akira Tozawa. Ford- <laughs> Ford has pissed myself at this. Ford gets out of his seat and just super kicks him out of the ring. Then poor Apollo Crews. My God, do I feel bad for Apollo Crews. He was great. You know, they were were at least doing something. It wasn't great at all, mate. Well, there was something that they were (laughs) doing with him. He wasn't just part of this. He he went all in to try and get that over. Exactly. Anyway, he gets decked by Dawkins. uh, But Tamina eventually gets Dana Brooke, hits her with a Samoan drop. One, two, three. She is the new 24 7 champion. And uh, there's Tozawa, and they have a, a lovely embrace, a kiss between the two of them. And then Akira Tozawa betrays Tamina, backslides, wins the title, and legs it. How could he? Like that. That's how we could. <laughs> I've got no interest in, in uh, no interest in discussing the latest developments in the 24-7 um, division, but I do hold a um, deep and abiding interest in burying T-Bar. <laughs> <laughs> this is so funny. Just these out, let's get that stupid, like, lug. Yeah, that stupid lug fighting over that worthless piece of fucking shit because that's pretty much all he's good for these days. Like, he's worked himself into a shooter's T bar and kind of destroyed his alternate career prospects by getting worked by Kenny Omega. And I just find it pretty funny. <laughs> I personally find it amusing when you pick the wrong side. Like, why show loyalty to this company? Like, look what they did in 2020. Look what they've done the whole, all the rest of it. Like, it, it was just funny when T-Bar comes out, does something, tries to do his feast your eyes bit, <laughs> and then gets super kicked in the face. He's legitimately going, feast your 
ah, he said, it's like, mate, drop that one. Drop that one, or at least keep it for your indie run yeah. at some point. Like, people might think, oh, yeah, the PWG match, literally five years ago at this point, that was really awesome. Maybe we can invest in him again. Save Feast Your Eyes for your indie run. Don't try and get your stuff over when you are legitimately playing a stupid, like, third-wheel extra part in a ridiculous 24-7 title division. Even Mace is part of that, what is it, ma- marvellous male models thing yeah. now, at least. Face, or is now now. Do you think he went to bat for WWE so hard because in his mind he thought, oh, I'm like oh, six this foot is five. This is an obsequious, obsequious man. Six foot five, whatever he is. He probably thinks, like, like I'm sort of perfect. I'm a big guy, but I can go. Like, I'm the bit, and then he watched, like, Vince get bored of Braun Strowman because he got home off, and he was like, oh, no. <laughs> I'm not he's even just, as big as half of them guys. He's just very unpleasant, and he nailed his colours to the mast in a pretty way that just uh, upset me. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to be next for Cody to beat in like three minutes on Raw. Uh, then we got a championship contenders match. It was uh, Mustafa Ali versus Champa with Theory on commentary. Uh, if Ali wins, he gets a shot at Theory in his US championship. Uh, early on... Ch- Champions and champers in control. Um, and he does the whole sitting up on the apron and, and slapping his back there. Ali fights back and there's a wild suicide dive in uh. there. Slightly terrifying. Um, <laughs> anyway, Ali goes up to the top, but Theory pulls him down and attacks him. Disqualification. Uh, throws him into the steel steps. Mustafa Ali will get the US title shot. It's, it's very much... Uh, grading on a curve this but I did like what they did immediately after that because I thought that's, that's dumb you know you shouldn't just note for later on you shouldn't just cost someone a match so they then get a shot at your title but Theory has somewhat of a brain so he costs him whether or not this was the plan all along or not beats this out of him and then goes there you go well done you won you get a US title shot but guess what you're getting that right now. And Theory, arguably, in storyline, because he's got the, the direct line to Vince, has the power to, to make that sort of thing happen. So he gets the match, beats him up. We go to a break. When we come back, he's still laying the boots into <laughs> Ali in the corner. Then he steps back, and the referee's like, do you still want to compete? But Ali's a brave guy, and he'll he'll fight on regardless. Um, and, and Ali says yes, and the, the bell rings. And Theory just, you know, beats him up a little bit more. And then suddenly, Ali makes his fight back, hits a kick, hits a tornado DDT. But Theory knocks him off the top rope because of the injuries that he's already given to him. Hits the ATL, one, two, three, like a sub-two-minute um, US championship match. But Postman Pierce comes down afterwards and says, oh, you know what, Mr. McMahon actually wants to see a fair fight, so we're going to have a rematch at Hell in a Cell between you and Mustafa Ali. Mixed emotions for me about this, but what did you think? I get your narrative justification of the theory wanting the match there and then. Like, that, it would make sense that you would try and be a bit of a sneak about it and use use that to your advantage. But um, I've grown tired over the years of when we maybe do like a preview or we're talking about stories coming up and then the question will be, do you think like they'll use, they'll save this for TV or it's going to go all the way to the premium live event? And the answer is now always both. Yes. It's always been both. Like it's never just, oh, they've like, finally got the big match. Like, well, Mr. Farley's going to get his chance. Like this, well, I, I appreciate this was more of an angle than a match, right? Yes. I, I, I do get that. I'm not going to be like totally cruel about it. But I, it's just like the futility of all of this. Because it is a little bit cake and eat it stuff, this. Yeah. Like, he's, oh, I've got Vince in my pocket. Like, literally on on my phone, I've got Vince in my pocket, so I can do this, I can do this. And they'll be like, you can do it, but, like, Postman Pierce is now deciding that you've got this Vince instead of that Vince. 
maybe they're going back to the segments earlier in the year where like Vince has lost his mind and he's changed his mind every five seconds. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I in think, my, in I think my head, I think they went. Uh, Theory didn't directly speak to Vince. He just went. They went. Oh, he's probably okay. That was Vince, and so they let it happen. And Vince was like, "Actually, no, I'm not. I want a fair fight for this. I want to really test him." Yeah, he's like, yeah. But the fight I have to do that work is yeah. No, but that's probably right. That is probably right. But I just the so the so little they apply thought to other than we needed ten minutes of TV time yes. and we want to run it back at the, at the pay for you on Sunday. And Champa just, just disappeared as well. Yeah, I, that's another thing as well. Like he's just like they must they must be lining him up for the Judgment Day. Please God, like yeah. every I will give them this right. Every way in which he's been featured or not, as the case may be, like his interviews getting interrupted, his debut matches being just forgotten about, and this here, that's got to be for the Judgment Day, because if it's not. They're yet again just like exhibiting just how inept they are mm. because he's just this meaningless fool otherwise. Correct me if I'm wrong because I was in a... Mustafa Ali versus Champa happened on this show. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Just, it just, it's such a nothing. The Champa character is such a complete nothing plot device. Oh, we need someone to advance something, get him on board, which is something they would do. But as Hamfler points out, maybe it is going towards a judgment day. And this is where I was referring earlier in the show to WWE is so lucky that it was good in the 80s. So good. So lucky and so good in the 80s. Because, right, there is a parallel universe in the multiverse, which is fashionable now. Mm, Eerily. (laughs) Eerily. Eerily similar to this one that we are currently in right now. Like, incredibly eerily similar. Like, one echo of a multiverse, right? One particle on the fingernail and that sort of grand analogy where there's a universe everywhere. Where Mustafa Ali just gets his releases requested out. We don't really want him. We don't really need him. We don't really want him. Or, you know, he could have been on that spreadsheet that we talk about and he's got sacked, he's got released. Mm-hmm. And there's, in that same universe, there's one where um, Champa... Decides, you know what? I uh, I've got the similar contract expiration date as Cole Gargano, O'Reilly, all of those lads. You know what? I'm just not going to resign. I'm going to go to AEW. So there's this multiverse, alternate universe, incredibly close to our own, where on AEW Dynamite, Mustafa Ali versus Tommaso Chamber actually happens, right? And it's good. And it's better than this, obviously. Yes. And, you know, there's too many stars in AEW for it to make too much of an impression, which generally really well received. Great wrestling. Maybe the start of something. Maybe not. Maybe it just all goes in the sludge that AEW kind of can be sometimes. What I'm getting at is that in this universe, Star Raleigh versus Champa, which if you look at the certain characters and uh, the, the physical makeup of the very tall, big, behemoth WWE wrestlers of yore, indeed, the, the future, um... Like, this is not really WWE, is it? Mm. Champa versus Mustafa Ali isn't what you would think of as a WWE match featuring WWE wrestlers who are operating in a WWE style. And it's kind of the worst of both worlds. They don't really want to do anything with either of them. It's just there for content, and it's happening, right? This match between Mustafa Ali and Champa, which is very, very close to an AEW match, it could have very easily been an AEW match. Mm-hmm. It would have worked better as an AEW <laughs> yep. match doesn't really feel like something WWE want to do. This match on WWE Raw between Mustafa Ali and Tommaso Ciampa is going to get a higher rating than anything on AEW Dynamite this Wednesday. That includes CM Punk, that includes John Moxley, that includes Brian Danielson, that includes the Young Bucks, that includes the Hardys, that includes anyone mm-hmm. who's a bigger star 
incalculably measurably from the few optics, uh, from the few metrics that are still left, much bigger stars. I'm not saying Ali and Champ are anything except great, but they're much bigger stars on yeah, the other yeah. channel. But on this channel, they've got the WWE initials, and they were very good in the 80s, and they've held a monopoly for so long that this is why they win. This is not a WWE match. This is not a, a pair of wrestlers that WWE truly care about. Mm-hmm. It's so much closer to an AEW match, but because it's WWE, you can't tell me that Champ and Ali in this quasi-AEW weird match are bigger stars than anyone on AEW Dynamite. So that should tell you the story of moving needles and winning wars and competitions. They've got this saturated, monopolized... They are... WWE is a synonym of professional wrestling. Mm -hmm. Where people say, if I like it, oh, that WWE stuff. Exactly. That's how closely everything is tied in pro wrestling to WWE. WWE being so terrible for two decades is... Because it's synonymous with wrestling, everyone just thinks wrestling is bad, and they've been sort of the fingers have been burned. It was just this match brought something mm. into focus. Like this isn't WWE. This isn't how they win, but they do because they are WWE, and those initials mean more than literally anything. Spot on. Uh, Riddle cut a backstage promo, walking backstage, saying thanks to everyone for their, their kind words about Randy Orton. Uh, but he says he hasn't come to Raw alone. Um, Shinsuke Nakamura is there and they've both got this common purpose to bleed the bloodline dry and then it was time for the championship contenders match Riddle and Shinsuke versus the Usos thanks God yeah Jimmy hit Riddle with his scooter DQ there you go right Jimmy Jimmy Riddle (laughs) (laughs) anyway I've been feuding for ages enough of all that it's now time for this it's short it's crap it's wrestling related the five star review review Nailed it! And this week's five-star review review is brought to you by GreyRat03. If you want to suggest something short, crap, and wrestling-related for us to review instead of a god-awful Raw segment or match, uh, you can do so by subscribing to What Culture Wrestling on iTunes and leaving us a five-star review. Just like GreyRat03 who writes, Hello, lads. This really is the peak of wrestling podcast with a combination of analysis and banter. Uh, The best combination of analysis and banter that you could ask for. But you already knew that being the number one podcast and all that we the ones. Uh, allow me to ramble briefly. Although you hesitate, sh- but it's okay because we are actually Yeah, the we, ones, are, we so. are the ones. <laughs> allow, to ra- allow me to ramble briefly, although I'm sure you're all used to it after 20 years of Triple H promos. <laughs> I recently discovered that a close friend of mine used to be a big fan of NXT during its glory years, but stopped stop watching during the No Fans era. Describing the current state of NXT to him was quite the joyful experience. He thought I was joking at first, but I let him listen to your description of that nonsense with the Druids a few weeks ago, and the reality set in. Haven't seen such a good shocked face since the last takeover. Uh, Tangent over now for the five-star review review. I'd humbly ask that you choose something from the pre-tuper era of NXT, considering how massively different the show is now. Uh, and how half the roster did indeed move their left foot, but towards the exit door. <laughs> I think now would be a good time to take the piss out of Papa Hunter's dingy work rate dungeon. Thanks, and keep, <laughs> up, keep up the great work. Thank you so much to Grey Rat 3 for that review uh, and those lovely comments. And, uh, well, Sid, you selected this, and why is that? Well, I'm glad that this uh, review, which thank you for that, by the way, very amusing, and it allows me to do one of my favourite things, that's bury the dying days of black and gold. <laughs> um, because dingy work rate dungeon, almost, but huge pub, <laughs> and it's a great description, because it was a grey rat. Grey rat 03, yes. Grey rat 03. That's what Suzuki called the trainees, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like exactly. Uh, 
great right all three. You've done a tremendous job of economically burying the dingy work rate dungeon because that's exactly what it is. Beautiful turn of phrase, right? But I can add an extra word to that that would really convey the full experience and the full picture that NXT became during that period where it was past its peak and it was before it got obsessed with tits and cum and pussy juice. Go good again. <laughs> Dingy, desperate work rate. <laughs> yeah, it was. Because the desperation was so palpable, so off-putting, like, hey, you want to be my mate? Do you want to be my mate? Do you want to be my mate? No, you're fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> you're too intense. Like, have you ever met someone in real life who's just so intense? Yeah. And you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> Get away from me. Yeah. I can't stand your vibe. There was one uh, time, this is completely unrelated to absolutely out, but in a um, house party in Leeds, where uh, everyone was like just having an absolutely fantastic time, <laughs> brilliant, brilliant time, and um, just like it was just, it was just there was lots of love in the room. Everyone just sharing their affection and just drinking the night away and listening to music. It was just a beautiful, beautiful time. And uh, some guy walks in. He's like a mate of a mate, and already I'm like, oh, I'm not sure about this guy at all. I'm not sure about this guy at all. He's very, very, very intense. So like, he just instantly goes, "Hey guys, I got a joke." I'm like, oh, fuck. Twelve of us in here. Like you've just disrupted about six different simultaneous conversations, right? And uh, it's really good. This one, guys, and like standstill vibe, dead. <laughs> And uh, he tells the joke, and I can't even remember, which is weird because I've heard it a million times. It's one of the first jokes you ever hear. What's the joke where the punchline is, I just took a piss all over your bar? <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. You've never heard this joke? terrible, though. Right, okay, wait there, wait there. You look it up, right? But anyway, all I know is it's a joke that I can't remember now, but I definitely heard at the time. Mm-hmm. Brought everything to a standstill conversation. And it's just like... Everyone was looking at each other of, oh, my God, I know how long this joke goes. (laughs) I've heard it a million times. It's not actually that funny. You've ruined everyone's good time. And you are so intense and you've ruined everything. And that was uh, the dingy, desperate work rate dungeon. (laughs) And it was so desperate. We'll get to the desperation factor, which is why I hated it so much by the end. After Wilborn tells a funny joke. Man sat down at a bar and told the bartender, I'll bet you 300 bucks that I can piss into the cup all the way over there on the other side of the bar and not miss a single drop. The bartender says, There's no way you can do that. Sure, I'll bet you 300 bucks. Don't make it funny with a voice. Okay, sorry. The man began, begins to undo his pants and begins pissing. He starts pissing all over the bar, spraying on the bottles in the bartender, not making a single drop in the cup. The bartender starts smiling and laughing and says, That's it. You owe me $300. The man gets up, walks up to the pool table and starts laughing and shaking hands with the man, the men standing there. He walks back to the bar, sits down and starts laughing at the bartender and hands him the money. The bartender asks, why are you laughing? You just lost the bet. The man said, I'm laughing because I bet those guys over there $1,000 that I could piss all over you in your bar and you'd still be laughing when I was done. That's just a trick, isn't it? Oh, That's not yeah. a joke. <laughs> That's not funny. It's just a bunch of arseholes, isn't it? Arse- it's like a trick. Yeah. It's, it's like... like- is that one was it um, about like drinking three pints before you can drink three halves, and no one's allowed to touch the other person's glass? You seen this? You heard about this? So like you you have to you have to neck the first pint. That's the one thing you have to do. And then you take the empty pint glass and you cover one of the, the other person's half glass. Just a little parlor trick. Win a bet. Win a fiver. Win the drinks. Whatever it is. That's just that. 
That okay. guy would get his head just, kicked Just in. a gross one where he gets battered also, by, no by the people at the pool table. I'm not shaking your hand, mate. Who's, <laughs> it? Also, who's, it? who's bets $1,000? Was it Elon Musk knocking about or something? Hey, John, you know that place we go every week to play pool and have three or four drinks? Yeah. Uh, a guy's pissed all over it. <laughs> the place now stinks of piss. You cannot get out of the seats. The leather interior reeks of piss for that one <laughs> That's night. That's a good idea in a room of people he didn't know. He just thought it was the funniest thing he'd ever heard. And, and I remember distinctly, I've heard this joke a million times, I just couldn't remember the exact sort of construct of the punchline. I like, always remember that joke now for like your delivery. I just pissed all over your bar. <laughs> pissed <laughs> all over your bar. And it's like... Was it you? Because, like, you can't... He was, like, bragging about it. Like, his delivery was, like... Anyway, he was, like, a super intense guy. Also, your toilet's broken. I'm going to have a party. He's, like, the super intense guy. Just a bit much, a bit much on a night out. And, like, oh, my God, I can't deal with your energy. And that was me watching NXT. And one of the reasons why it was so intense is because Triple H realised that, oh, my God... New Japan Pro Wrestling's really sort of breathing down our necks as the um, the critically revered brand that prizes good wrestling. That's my MO. That's how I get the marks on side to get people to think that I'm going to take this throne. That's had uh, 15 minutes on the end of Extra Match. Why? Why have you done that? <laughs> so it got even worse when AEW formed because Vince's very first words that came out of his mouth the second that they struck the deal with Warner Media was, oh, fuck, I'm be with them on Wednesday night. <laughs> and uh, so they went head to head and they're just like, Christ, okay, right. Well, I've got no new ideas. <laughs> I've gone through my life cycle as a booker now. I'm knackered. So what does the pro wrestling booker do when they run out of ideas? They ramp up their existing ideas and booking principles and philosophies to 11 and everything just falls apart into parody. So he did this in the, the dingy work rate dungeon. And more to the point, he's realized, oh, Christ, the pressure's on. Uh, AEW's actually faring really well in this pandemic. People think it's awesome and it's a good vibe. And how is this possible? Uh, counter program with a with a nostalgia. Oh, nostalgia God damn it! I haven't a thought about this. So in your house happens it's actually really good. Uh, oh my god! Uh, what do we do? Great American Bash. I'll <laughs> teach Cody Rhodes a cock of how to do it. And like they get the uh, the 2004. Oh, people had loads of nostalgia for Mordecai versus Billy Gunn. <laughs> so what? That's that's good nostalgia, isn't it? So they get the actual 2004 banner. Like, oh my god! People are still going to think it's 2004. So NXT <laughs> on this banner, and that'll just make everything great. We'll do the Great American Bash. It's like, right, okay, we've got the prop from 2004. Uh, we've got some cars. Uh, we've got the we've got the name value of um. There are going to be people with no discerning opinions or minds or whatsoever going, oh my god, it's a Great American Bash. That's cool. Why was it ever good? <laughs> yes, it was, but not the one you saw. So how does any of this work? I don't know. We're just doing things. We're just doing things because we need to compete with AEW. We need to compete with that. What do we do? What do you mean? We've got a wrestling show to do. Uh, what what gets ratings? Title unifications. Winner takes all. Boom. We've got it. So they do this thing where out of absolutely nowhere, Adam Cole cuts this promo on NXT, and you remember this specifically mm. because we did it on a podcast. Mm -hmm. Out of Nowhere at all. Adam Cole goes, I think I like the sound of champ champ, baby. Um, I, I, I want the NXT North American title as well. And uh, for, for, just for no reason. You've already won the big one, mate. You've already won it. You've already won it. And if you wanted the big one, it just makes more work for you because you're trying to weasel your way out of every single title defense. But AEW's got a fighter fest, so we need to do something even if it makes no sense. Cut to Idiot Hamlet on a podcast going, actually, it's part of a really wider story they're telling Adam Cole's persistent attempt to neg Roderick Strong because he's super, yeah. super insecure about the Undisputed Era leader role and they've planted a ton of seeds for this. Uh, it's like uh, Triple H, like, 
I like the hand flip, but also f*** you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to throw everything you loved into a blender and see what comes out of the side. Oh, look, it's sick. It'll it's be all, fine. When all... Roderick Strong turns on him, it's going to be really... Oh, no, okay, they've all left. It's all sick. It's all... That image where Adam Cole's holding four trophies and a title. Roderick Strong's got nothing. Yeah. It's like, that's really good. Do something with that. That's but so that good. It doesn't get rained. Mm. Logo, doesn't get rain. The logo was so gross, isn't the it? The logo. I got a big metal X with some fucking scrolls in it. Like, it's so hideous. Put that on an American flag. <laughs> Make it the Undertaker's favourite thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyway, so Adam Cole, I like the sound of Champ Champ, baby, because it's got two words in it just like Baby has. And uh, Keith Lee says something to the effect of, I accept your challenge, but you must want your title on the line as well. I also like to be a double champion. Uh, I don't know. And anyway, so they have this promo train, and Johnny Gargano comes out as well. And uh, <laughs> Finn Balor also comes out to the ring. And uh, so this is promo train. This promo train happens, and they're all saying it's the Scottish cat. And they're all saying, "I want both belts. I want both those belts. I should have both belts." It's like, uh. anyway, so it's like big. Dial unification when I say gold, don't watch fucking AW. God damn it. <laughs> Show some respect to the Fed. We were here first, so you watch that program. You, you watch this. We're do some desperate things to make you watch this. And then who would appear on the Titan Tron, right? This is crucial, right? Who would appear on the Titan Tron except William Regal, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Audio podcast, right? So you can't really see what I'm about to do. So what I want you both to do, Hamlet right. Wilborn, is describe my face. <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> just popped your head sideways into a door to deliver a big sitcom payoff of a joke. Yeah. Yes, I'm happy, am I? I'm beaming, I'm beaming. beaming. He thinks it's the best thing he's ever heard. Yeah. Happy as a pig in shit because it's the best thing I've ever heard this idea. William Regal goes, oh, I love this, boys. The competition, the passion. So he loves the idea of champ, champ, baby, and someone being a double champion and being so good and being so competitive with your fellow roster members. I, I love this. I'm going to have to unify the titles on the back of this. And for never any cynical reason. I just love the passion of the competition. Uh, it's it promo train, of all things. So it's a triple threat, I think, between uh, Keith Lee, Gargano, and Balor. And whoever wins that and it becomes the North American champion goes on to the Great American Bash to fight um, NXT champion Adam Cole to unify both titles. And as we all know, Keith Lee um, retained the North American title and then unified the North American NXT titles and then was the champion. Mission accomplished. You've unified both titles. That's what you wanted to do. You told me in the story that it was of utmost importance and it made you deliriously happy that you've unified the titles, right? Er, five weeks later. <laughs> no, no, you, you've got it wrong. Two weeks later. Was it two weeks later? Welcome to NXT, says William Regal. Two weeks ago, the world witnessed Keith Lee ending <laughs> Adam Cole's... So yeah, it's two weeks. Two weeks later. 14 days after that. So le- legitimately abdicated the title 14 days later. Yeah. So that would be right, because at the following takeover, um, Keith Lee and Karrion Cross had that absolutely miserable main event that ruined the Karrion Cross push right out the gate. And the like, scrubs fought in that ladder match for the North American title. It was back. I've got, a, I've got a quiz for you. I've got a test to see if you can remember that. It was show, back, by the way. It was back ready to go. Two weeks, five weeks, it's even worse than I thought. That <laughs> is basically the thing. But, um, so two weeks later, right, after the best idea imaginable that made William Regal just so happy at the competition and the passion and the idea of unifying the title. Two or five weeks later, um, we get this vignette with uh, Keith Lee. And he's at a desk and he's got the North American title next to the NXT title. 
And he says something to the effect. Well, I've got what he says written down, if you want me to. Does it say something about limits? Are we yes. on the same yeah, page? don't worry. I've got, we're, we're, we're around the same. Okay. Go. Okay, so July 22nd, I think it was, 2020. As soon as it gets NXT. to Regal, come to me. Okay, so uh, Regal starts by saying, Welcome to NXT. Two weeks ago, the world witnesses Keith Lee ended Adam Cole's incredible 403-day reign and become the North American and NXT champion in what can only be described as an incredible accomplishment. Keith Lee has asked for this time tonight to address you, the NXT universe. Greetings, my fellow man. No, he says, oh, thank you, Mr. Regal. I appreciate this time greatly. Um, <laughs> what an incredible couple of weeks it has been. <laughs> like a holiday. <laughs> Two nice weeks in Florida. It's nice to go away. Nice to come back. <laughs> Sometimes just nice to be on my cup of tea. <laughs> I know how hard this NXT roster works. I know how much it work it takes just to get to NXT. My own journey began 15 years ago with my trainer, Killer Tim Brooks. And although you are gone now, and it is holding up the titles and him saying, this is for you because his trainer passed away, unfortunately. You spoke the truth. The blood, ti- oh, sorry, the time, blood, sweat, the fears. Ah, you thought I was going to say tears. Aha! <laughs> it all prepares you for the opportunities that come your way. When opportunity struck, I became North American champion. When opportunity struck, I became NXT champion. Cut to Mauro Ronaldo yelling and me going, oh, I miss Mauro Ronaldo. I don't know. You see, life is like a box of chocolates. No, uh, life is about <laughs> making the most of opportunities. And while I embrace the fate, the fate that some may... Oh, I embrace the fact that some people have called me limitless. I will not be a limiting factor on other people's <laughs> opportunities. Factor. I will defend the NXT championship as much as I possibly can and probably lose it in about three weeks. Uh, but at this point in time, I will be relinquishing the NXT North American championship. Not an easy decision, but it is an effort to make sure that other people get the same opportunities that I had. And with the caveat that as many people as possible have an opportunity to win this championship. And he returns the, uh, the, the, the vignette to William Regal. Okay. It's an audio podcast, right? So it's not the best means of conveying this. So I want you, Willborn, and you, Hamford, to describe my face. Is that how you describe it? Pump. It's the same picture. (laughs) (laughs) Right. William Regal says, and I don't know if you've transcribed this. If you want to read it. What a wonderful and noble gesture by Keith Lee, and I love Keith's ideas. So starting tonight, we'll do some bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) Wilborn. Right. That's odd, William. (laughs) <laughs> because, and this is a little bit uh, crucial to my um, investment in the credibility of the characters and how much championships mean and the, just the direction to the storyline and the continuity and the meaning behind things. I like everything to mean something, you know what I mean? I don't want everything to get retconned in a fit of desperation because you've been absolutely pummeled by this billionaire E-Fedder who, the likes of which you said he can't book, he's never been on this winner. <laughs> they, they thought he's a mom. He's not, he hasn't spent a goddamn day on a business. He hasn't spent a goddamn day taking a bump. <laughs> you cannot and will not say a goddamn thing about the winner. <laughs> you haven't even taken a bump in your life. <laughs> that's, that's their go to line, though, isn't it? <laughs> Three quarters of our roster were bumping very literally before you were born. <laughs> They say this, don't they? Like, yeah. 
you can't have, you can't see anything. You've never taken a bump. You don't wrestle a match. Uh, uh, Matt Cardona and uh, Kurt Hawkins, forget his name. Like the big thing they make about like God. Can you imagine going into my, my favourite, the SmackDown locker room in the mid-2000s and you collect figures? <laughs> you would be left, yeah. left out on the road in the desert somewhere to die. But the Undertaker's Big Show promo would be a shoot. With you. <laughs> yeah. All they'd have is their wrestling figures to sell to try and live. But Tony Khan just made them so gotten to because he was the guy who didn't even take a bump in his life, but he still beat them and embarrassed them. So to get over this embarrassment, they threw so many different things at this NXT product. Dingy, desperate work rate dungeon, yeah? And they made fool of themselves, and they made a fool of William Regal as the authority figure, and they made a complete fool and tit of themselves trying to compete, and I just found it funny, because I said this was happening on day one, October 2, 2019, I said that's absolutely pathetic that they're doing Adam <laughs> Cole versus Matt Riddle in the first match, no adverts, to take over main event, you build it that, you don't give it away, you don't desperately do it, and I was right, and this is the evidence right here, so William Regal says... What a noble gesture that is, Keith Lee, sir. And I think it's a great idea. Do you? <laughs> I am a little bit suspicious of you thinking it's a great idea, right? Because it's literally the exact opposite the of the idea that you had two weeks ago or three weeks ago before the yeah. actual match happened, which you didn't postpone or cancel and suddenly think it was a bad idea because the match went ahead as planned, mm. as per your plan. William Regal across a month, with the exact same facial expression, said something was a good idea, and then the exact opposite <laughs> of that idea was a good idea. Neither of those things can be true unless you're making it up as you go along and doing stupid storytelling about stupid unifications that you're never going to stick to the stipulation in a desperate bid to beat the company that, guess what, earned goodwill from the fans... Because they didn't do any of these things. <laughs> you are losers. Triple H, loser. Road Dog, loser. Shawn Michaels, loser. Undertaker, loser, just because. Just because. Yeah. It's what's great about that as well, like this Regal being like the, the character of William Regal obviously being found out as just another WWE prop for this sort of thing. The Great American Bash, as you may recall was a two-week project because they were going up against Fighter Fest. Fighter Fest. Fighter Fest. So it was an attempt to try and take both weeks. Fighter Fest won the demo. With, with right, so with, like, big main events. One was the unification match. Uh, Regal, the GM character, had absolutely bought all to do with uh, this random week where I was like, we've got Sasha Banks and Yoshi right. It's one of the best matches in wrestling. Should we just put that one in the main event? There was no William Regal in the set. I had this really good idea as the general manager of a wrestling show because that would have been even faker. That would have been, like... Cynical WWE really wants this win. Yeah, yeah. So they'll just, what have we got? We've got that. They can have that. I think they won the viewership on the night because it was genuinely something that people wanted to see. And it was like, well, we can't put Regal out there to sell that because he has absolutely no investment in anything. <laughs> yeah. there's, no, there's no tangible way we can remotely even attempt to draw this together in storylines. Look at that. Look at this match. Take a look at this five seconds. Like, I'd given up trying to defend them at this point. I was A, I was sick of taking L's, and B, <laughs> uh, earnestly on the other side, like Cody's in the form of his life yeah. <laughs> with, in empty buildings. We talked about this this morning. Like, I want AEW, I, I cannot believe I'm saying this, I want AEW to have some of the pandemic restrictions placed upon them so they can be yes. as creative as they were then with the problems they had in 2020. Because 2020, like, we talk all the time about, like, you you'd said it before, one look at Becky Lynch and ask her in the performance center, you're like, oh, my God, Jesus Christ, I, I cannot think about it. Kind of like thinking about Daily's place, like uh, Austin, what, yeah. what a gem! Austin Gunn yelling at ringside. What a gem! Every Wednesday was as a place to forget, like mm. distilled 
Like it remains this fairly like perfect vision of what wrestling should be, which is the the perfect way to escape into. Like I want them to have more of those constraints on than they do now because of what they were able to produce in opposition to the dingy worker at Dungeon. Can you remember NXT TakeOver 30 that followed this then? Vaguely. Uh, opening match, well, a pre-show match, Breezango defeating Only Lorcan and Danny Burch and Legado Del Fantasma to become number one contenders for the yeah. tag titles. Uh, Finn Balor defeating Timothy Thatcher. Uh, yeah. That was the opener. Do you remember who won the ladder match for the vacant North American Championship? And can you name any of the competitors? So Gargano was in it. Yep. Um, Cameron Grimes? Cameron Grimes. Damien Priest was in it. Damien Priest was in it. <laughs> did he win it? Damien Priest did win it. Yeah. Velveteen Dream was Velveteen in it. Dream was yep. in it. And every single sort of PC um, trainee or staff or... Because I think by this point they had um, people behind the Perspex glass who were there to yeah. do the Austin gun rule. Mm-hmm. Um, after Stephanie McMahon did a little snarky, snidey comment about how AEW probably shouldn't be doing that because it's not very healthy. Well, was it healthy? Were the vaccines out of the way? <laughs> Um, <laughs> vaccines went out, yeah. Um, I remember that because they are have a job, and remember when they had to stand there for 12 hours. Remember that crack? Shotty Blackheart in an Edge t shirt. Yeah, they had to stand there for 12 hours. It's like after the 11th hour, like, yeah, you're getting goddamn tired. Why don't you make some goddamn noise? <laughs> so, have a chairman, but we don't need to um, stand up because it's um, like you just got into commercial or something. No. <laughs> so all these like people who were paid to make noise, just like the AW ones were consistent and unbiased. When Velveteen Dream came out live on the WWE network, silence. Yeah. Absolute silence. Uh, Damien Priest won the ladder match. Uh, we had Adam Cole versus Pat McAfee. You forgot as well. There was well, you haven't forgot, but like nobody cares anymore. I've already forgotten what in Jonah. Was what was his NXT name? Bronson, Bronson Reed. Bronson yeah. Reed. Thank you very much. He had a nice Bam Bam Bigelow singlet, and he did that really cool move on Candice LeRae. I think yep, it was on to Gargano. Like, that. that was the spot of the match. Adam Cole defeated Pat McAfee. Io Shirai defeated Dakota Kai for the NXT uh, Women's Championship. And the main event, Keith lost. Keith lost his uh, no, NXT Championship. Sure did. Everyone else lost interest. Twenty-two minutes. So oh, boring. Not so great. boring. That was. Did Karen Cross get injured as well in that match? Karen Cross yeah. got hurt. Um, all the co- like. Cole McAfee was legitimately good. Pat McAfee showed exactly what he would continue to prove to be capable of, bare bones sort of thing. Adam Cole, our general, still in the right context as he was here. Um, if I remember correctly, that would have been just the night before SummerSlam and all the action was on uh, Cody and Brody Lee assembling one of the greatest moments in AEW history yeah. on a Saturday Night Dynamite that went head-to-head with TakeOver 30. Like, the timeline was like, now you seriously got to watch what's happening over here because yeah. this is all time and stuff. Right, we are going very long on this pod, so I'm going to r- rapidly move Christ. to the uh, comment section of YouTube. We once again do not reflect the views myself, the Dadly Boys, or anyone at What Culture Wrestling, or Grey Rat 03. Thanks to yeah. uh, John the Gin for reminding me of that last week. Uh, we let's, are let's NXT... smash the rest of this bollocks. <laughs> we are NXT... Uh, summarise, I, th- I think might be slightly biased with that um, <laughs> YouTube handle. Keith Lee relinquishing the North American title just shows how humble and how much he cares about giving others opportunities on the roster. He is a true champ. Next comment. <laughs> uh, gambling on Coke writes, thank you, Keith Lee. The modern age, and then do you want to have a guess who he's compared Keith Lee to? Uh, uh, no. I think I get where this is going. Yes, yeah, so I, I, there were some more problematic ones. This one's just so random, I thought I'd mention it. Thank you, Keith Lee, the modern age Bruce Lee. What? Just could have got the same <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ethan uh, comments that age like milk. Keith Lee needs to be the face of WWE. That went well. Mm. Uh, 
Robert Lind and Emma, these final two comments, they do not reflect the views of myself, Dadley Boys, What Culture Wrestling, oh my, or yeah. Grey Rattle 3. Yeah. Robert Lind maybe does, because it's we love Keithley. I know Take the Piss, but it's only out of just genuine jealousy out of how sensational <laughs> his voice is. Robert Lind writes, I need Keith Lee's voice on a GPS. I'd be so calm. Well, lovely that, isn't it? That's nice. Yeah. That's a good idea. Emma, right, before I read this... It's going to get edited out. Yeah. It's not going to get edited. Well, maybe. <laughs> but also... I'm going to put put something on the line here. I don't think Emma's this person's real name. I think this may be someone pretending to be a woman. Right, okay? Okay. Because you may see why. A catfish. Well, I don't know what it is, but you know when people are like, oh, yeah, I'm a woman and this guy's hot or whatever, and you're like, mm, mm, you're a catfish. <laughs> yeah. Emma, so Robert, I need Keith Lee's voice on his GPS. I'd be so calm. Well, Emma writes, Mia Yim is one lucky girl. Keith... Keith Lee's voice makes my pussy juicy. <laughs> <laughs> I see we found your burner. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> there you have pussy it. Pussy juicy. juicy. Juicy pussy. Uh, anyway. What's well, juicy down there? <laughs> Keith Lee on again. <laughs> who was the, uh, the politician or bloke who was like, hmm. shouldn't be, when they had the, when WAP came out, he was like, mm, that sounds like a medical problem. Oh, Pay, we can't get into this. We can't get Shapiro? into this. I can't, we can't oh, get into this. Was, yeah. I will tell you why. I'll tell you why after this podcast, but I'll not get into Okay, this. thank you to Grey Rat 03 anyway for the, this week's five-star review. Not an endorsement of, just, I can't, I'll tell you after. <laughs> okay, never mind. If you want to suggest something, short crap and wrestling rated, subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on iTunes and leave us a review on there. Uh, so yeah, it was a DQ in that match. That means that Riddle and Nakamura uh, get the title shot on the pape and uh, Nakamura kicked Jimmy off the turnbuckle and Riddle hit Jay with a, a top rope RKO. Uh, Ali's in the back and he's approached by, oh, oh God, sorry, because we've done the five-star review. My notes are all over the... Come on, Patrick! Um, he says, <laughs> Ali says he's hurting, but he, and he knows the odds are against him, but he's going to be going out in his hometown of Chicago uh, and uh, walking out as US champion. And the theory just jumped him again and took a selfie. Then it was time for Liv Morgan versus Rhea Ripley. Uh, this was that weird one where Liv Morgan made her entrance. Then all the stuff I've just mentioned happened. It's like 20 minutes before the match actually started. Uh, Morgan fires up, hits a flying crossbody to the outside, goes to the oblivion, but just like we saw the previous week when Edge did it, this time Damian Priest, who's out of ringside, holds Ripley by her pants uh, to make sure she can't get hit with the finisher. So Styles, who's also come out, goes after him. Morgan kicks out of Ripley's pin, counters a riptide, backstabber, one, two, three. Liv Morgan gets the victory. Post-match, Priest attacks Styles, goes to attack Liv Morgan, but who should make the save? Then Finn Balor. Uh, thankfully, the three of them are finally on the same page. Finn Balor comes down, tackles Priest. Styles hits a phenomenal forearm. Uh, Balor hits a coup de grace. Uh, Ripley gets taken out with a missile dropkick from Morgan. And Styles, Balor, and Morgan, the new Bullet Club, stand tall. Quite, I quite enjoyed this. Why are the Judgment Day always laughing? Because they're just losers. I know. Why they cannot keep eating so much and continuing to talk about how all oh, you people are the real stupid ones because this promo right now is the real quiz before the matches that pays our wages. <laughs> they They've got a match on the papers, well, haven't they? The six uh, the six man's infinite. Like, this is when, like, me and Sage disagreed on why Edge specifically sucks. I'll get into that again. This podcast no, is longer than it is. The match on Sunday, ha- for me is way more interesting than the third round of AJ versus Edge in a singles. I think I think this is actually helping. Yes. If nothing else, I think this is actually elevating Liv Morgan a little bit. I think like her association with Edge and uh, with AJ Styles and Finn Balor because wrestling is sexist and misogynistic 
her by being paired with men who are already big stars is making her yeah. a little bit of a bigger star by default, and thus you kind of justify the existence of the Judgment Day as well, even though them losing makes zero sense. Yeah, yeah I'll go with that because I'm hungry. Yes, and also... <laughs> Also, just nice to see the three people who agreed like three weeks ago will be a unit against the Judgment Day finally worked as a unit rather than one of them just sitting in the back going, God, it would be sucked to be out there and get my head kicked in. Yeah, or like stopping to do their poses first. <laughs> yes, main event time anyway. It's the contract signing for Hell in a Cell. Oh, the handicap match, Bobby Lashley versus MVP and Omos. Uh, shout out to Twitter user uh, Michael, uh, Mikey underscore T1991, who pointed out that on our preview yesterday, we nailed exactly what hap- was going to happen. It's not. It wasn't particularly precise. Like, yeah. MVP took credit. Prescient. MVP took credit for everything Lashley's accomplished. The Almighty said he never needs to do him to do a single thing in his life, and they both said they felt betrayed by each other. Yeah, they say this every single time. Because they establish the premise of a storyline and then just repeat it. <laughs> That's what they do. Um, and then there's and then sometimes there's a contract signing where the table gets broken. This the let's see, well, let's see what happens. Yeah, okay. Uh, Postman <laughs> Pierce is like, anyway, let's sign the contract. Uh, and they do that. And then Lashley chucks the table to one side, chucks it, and chucks it out of the ring. And uh, the security guards get out of there. Uh, well, they, they attack the security and all that happens. And then it's a standoff. And it looks like almost and Lashley are going to come to blows again. When who should slide in? But Gary, the, sorry, Cedric Alexander. He comes in, chop blocks Lashley. Again, MVP and Omos look surprised by this development. They're like, we're not doing a hurt business again, I've told you. Um, he uh, hits a springboard, kick to Lashley, uh, and then Lashley just fights back, slams Cedric. Um, this allows Omos to come in and hit a big boot on Bobby Lashley. MVP come, attacks him, tells Omos to get a table. He sets it up in the corner, goes to slam Lashley through it, but he reverses it. A spear to Omos through the table. Contract signing chaos, Michael Sidgwick. The established beats of the premise of the storyline were repeated during this contract signing, which differed only from virtually every other WWE contract signing in that someone has said clearly, oh, can't do the table thing. Yeah, we can't, but we can do a second table. Yeah, well, if we get a different table, because that's the good <laughs> table. That's yeah. the one they say that for special occasions. That's the one. People expect that table to get broken, but we can fool them if we break another one. This is absolutely terrible. The biggest problem, there are many problems with the stuff just happens Here's a premise. We're not going to advance any stories. We're just going to do the repeat the same thing every week. The biggest problem with that, and this has happened with a million different stories, is that you've got to then think, well, if you're just going to do the same thing every week, the best thing has kind of got to happen at the apex of the story. It's got to happen on the go-home raw or whatever. You know, that if it doesn't, like Cody and Seth, perfect example. Fundamentally, they're just like doing a thing every week, and we know why their rivalry exists. But the best thing has happened at exactly the right yeah. time. The best thing of Lashley and Omos was either A, the match happening at WrestleMania being finished, or the cage match, the cool cage match stuff. You've got to do it there. But they just do better. They just regurgitate best thing stuff every week. Like, <laughs> same thing's happening between them. What's our thing this week? Well, we've done the cage match. We're not getting better than that. Table bump. Like, they, this couldn't feel any more secondary or tertiary because it is. It literally is. They happened upon the best thing of the things three weeks ago. Mm. So you're stuck. you got no, you got no chance to top and, it. And my favorite bit was, was also looking at the time and knowing that they were like, 
Cool. I don't like you. Well, I don't like you. Anyway, let's quickly sign the contracts. We've got six minutes left to this goddamn show. <laughs> it's like, get them signed. They can turn the lights off in a minute. <laughs> anyway, that's Monday Night Raw for you. Let us know your thoughts on everything on Twitter. At WhatCultureWWE. Uh, watch they can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at... Michael Hamflit. Follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE, as I said. Make sure you subscribe to WhatCulture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts. Uh, we're going to be back later on today with the NXT preview. Uh, and a while you're there subscribing on iTunes leave us a five star review uh, for just suggesting something short crap and wrestling related for us to review instead of a god awful Raw segment or match just like Grey Rat 03 did but for now this has been the Raw Review my thanks to the Dadly Boys thank you for joining us and we will see you soon Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true baby it's me Kiki Palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.